Hello and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 6. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're at the right podcast. Today I'm talking about Season 6, Episode 6, All the Way, where Dawn ducks out of Xander's and Anya's Halloween engagement party and puts herself in peril. I am Lisa M. Lilly, mystery and thriller author, story coach, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com, where you can learn more about fiction writing, publishing, and book marketing. Along with a breakdown of All the Way, I'll talk about who is the protagonist, Dawn, Buffy, another character, which is the main plot. Tara and Willow, Sander and Anya, Dawn out for an adventure, Buffy struggling with re-engaging with life, or Buffy and Dawn. And are these storylines subplots or movement on season-long arcs or both? When misdirects or subverting expectations works best? And how not knowing what characters intend or think can undermine the emotional impact of a story? As always, there will be no spoilers until the end when I'll talk about foreshadowing. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. All the Way aired the first time on October 30, 2001. It was written by Stephen S. DeKnight and directed by David Solomon. It starts with plenty of opening conflict, which draws the audience right into the episode. It's Halloween at the Magic Box. Customers are everywhere. Anya on roller skates skates by and says buy one eyeball get the second one free all the scoobies are helping though the children aren't super impressed with xander's pirate costume and impression anya wears a red fitted t-shirt short red and white striped shorts and those roller skates and she tells dawn she's an angel when dawn asks why no wings she clarifies that she's a Charlie, which is a great callback to the 70s TV show Charlie's Angels. And there were later movies, but I think this specifically refers to the show, given the way Anya's dressed and because I'm pretty sure there was a roller derby episode of that. And Anya says, we don't have wings. We just skate around with perfect hair fighting crime. Anya's surprised Dawn doesn't have a costume and claims to think Halloween is lame. Anya says it's a great night for games and Xander's going to teach her a new one, Shiver Me Timbers. Before she can explain that further, Tara intervenes and suggests Dawn go help Willow, which Dawn is more than happy to do. Anya asks Tara if she's played Shiver Me Timbers, and Tara says, I'm not really much for the timber. Willow rants to someone in a witch costume that has a pointy hat and a green face and a hairy mole about witch stereotypes, until a cute little girl in a black costume with a pointy hat asks for candy corn. After Willow leaves to find the girl some candy, Dawn swipes a magic coin or a charm and puts it in her pocket when no one is looking. Anya asks Buffy to get some mandrake root from the basement, and Buffy, referring to the Events of Life cereal, says, half to Anya, half to herself, don't blame me if we have this conversation over and over and over, and she keeps going as she goes downstairs. 
Spike appears and startles her. She tells him to get a bell for his neck, and he asks if that comes with a nice leather collar. He tells her he came here to get some herbs to stir in with the blood, which reminds me of when he was stuck at Giles and he would uh, stir Weedabix into the blood for texture. Spike says he was going to pay for it, but then admits no, he was going to nick it and asks why Buffy is there. Isn't she done with being a shopkeeper? She tells him it was a one-time deal to help with the sale. And then she sheepishly asks him where the mandrake root is. Spike knows right off, which is a great way to show how often Spike pops over to borrow things. The next dialogue lines suggest that that night at the Demon Bar in Life Serial also felt like a bit of a date to Buffy and that she is somewhat attractive to Spike because he says you like a bit of the rough and tumble and Buffy says what and he says me you patrolling hello and Buffy says oh uh, I should stay maybe tomorrow and Spike responds hmm it's not like I don't already have plans the great pumpkins on in 20 and that is one of my favorite holiday TV shows though I haven't seen it in forever. Spike leaves and Buffy says to herself, so much easier to talk to when he wanted to kill me. Buffy goes upstairs to the checkout counter where Giles is quite harried. Giles needs Buffy's help. She's not thrilled. She mentions that Spike suggested patrolling and Giles doesn't think she should go. She's been patrolling every night and also Halloween is the one night supernatural forces take a break and Buffy reminds him about the time the costumes came to life and the wee little Irish fear demons but she can't persuade him and he hands her something to bag. This is very nice exposition coming out through minor conflict. It tells the audience why Giles isn't worried about Halloween and that it ought to be a quiet time and has some nice callbacks to the previous Halloween episodes, suggesting that there is, in fact, danger out there. At 4 minutes 50 seconds, the scene cuts to an old man carrying a paper bag. He wears a suit and hat and he's humming as he goes into his house, which is filled with old-fashioned toys, some of them hand-carved. In his kitchen, there's a big pot bubbling on the stove, and he peers out the window at some kids walking by and chuckles and sings, Happy Halloween. Then at 5 minutes 53 seconds, he pulls out a giant carving knife and says he's going to give them something special this year. And we go to credits. So this is pretty late for credits. Usually the opening sequences are a bit shorter. Also, normally by this point in the episode, we would see the inciting incident or story spark. Fitting what I'll be talking about throughout, it's hard to say what the inciting incident is here. And I think it is meant to be something of misdirect. If you haven't watched the episode before, this old man with the giant carving knife would seem like he is going to be the antagonist. He is going to pose the threat and that his decision to plan something for Halloween is the inciting incident. As we'll find out, he really does not drive the plot, though he may contribute to a significant turn. The real inciting incident 
if we see Dawn's story as the main plot happened before the episode began, and it was when Dawn made plans with her friend Janice for Halloween night. On return from credits at 6 minutes 44 seconds, the store is finally closed. It's dark out. Everyone is exhausted and half sitting, half lying on either the steps or chairs, except for Anya. She is behind the cash register, glowing. This is the most incredible thing she's ever experienced. Xander gives her a look and she says, except for that. And she goes on that she is thrilled at the astounding heaps of money that they helped her. And then Giles gives her a look and she says, and Giles acquire, and she hopes to make as much tomorrow. This dismays Buffy. She was not planning on being there tomorrow, but Anya is very excited about the post-holiday clearance. Everyone else groans. In this episode, Anya makes you love retail. And it reminds me of for a couple years in college, I worked in a family owned lighting store and it was a really fun place to work and very different from cashiering at a big discount store. And it remains one of my favorite jobs. Giles starts grabbing a broom to clean up. Willow suggests she could just whip up a self-cleaning spell like in Fantasia. And Giles says, we all know how splendidly that turned out for Mickey. Willow responds, I think I'm a little more adept than a cartoon mouse. And Tara says, and you have more fingers, which is good, because there's no need to wear those big white gloves to overcompensate. Anya counts bills and dances with the money. Xander watches her as Dawn joins and Anya demonstrates the nightly, quote, dance of capitalist superiority, end quote. And Xander says to himself and Buffy, who's next to him, that he's going to marry that girl. And Buffy says, what? She's 15 and my sister, so don't even. And then she breaks off, realizing he means Anya. Xander stands and says he and Anya have news. This surprises Anya. Willow seems particularly particularly puzzled and Anya says in a low voice I thought you were waiting for the right moment Xander responds I did they kiss Dawn looks a little sad at the kiss but she laughs when Anya tells her to have some money and throws bills at her demonstrating how very happy Anya is And that is a terrific way to do it, to show a character's actions, because we have set up how much Anya is excited about the money and loves the success, but she is more thrilled in the moment, at least, with Xander finally making this announcement. Buffy asks Giles if he knew about this, and he says no, unless he blocked it from his memory. Quote, much as I will Xander's vigorous use of his tongue, end quote. He takes off his glasses, and starts to clean them and Buffy asks if that's why he's always cleaning his glasses so he doesn't have to look at what they're doing and Giles says tell no one. Buffy now looks worried and says they have to do something but it's a misdirect because the next scene isn't Buffy trying to break up Anya and Xander. Instead it's an impromptu engagement party 
at the summer's home. So there are quite a few misdirects in this episode where the writers and director lead the audience to believe one thing and then it turns out to be something else. This one feels a bit unfair because Buffy's tone, I didn't do it justice, but her tone and expression strongly suggest she is worried about them being engaged, that they need to do something to stop it, versus being concerned that no one is ready to celebrate with Xander and Anya. And I really enjoy Mr. X and subverting expectations when it plays a little more fair. So if Buffy's line had been a little bit more ambiguous there. At 9 minutes 36 seconds, Anya shows off her ring to Dawn, who asks if she can try it on, and Anya very brightly says, oh, absolutely not. Buffy apologizes that there's not a fancier party, but Anya's not upset. There'll be lots more premarital celebrations with gifts. Tara says maybe decorations next time, too, but Willow says, why wait? She speaks a couple words of a spell and beautiful decorations, including glowing paper lanterns, fill the room. Tara and Giles exchange a look. At 10 minutes, 25 seconds in the kitchen with Willow, Tara points out that stores are still open. They could have run over to get decorations, but Willow says this was easier and they're extra biodegradable. They'll disappear after a few hours. Tara thinks that doing things the natural way might be better, but Willow says, well, you can fight monsters in a natural way too, but she doesn't recommend it. Tara makes a distinction because that's about protecting people and keeping them safe, but Willow argues, yes, that makes them happy, like decorations made Anya happy, and Anya was happy. She hugged Willow to thank her. And then Willow asks Tara why she's being this way and says, you're always coming down on me for doing magic that couldn't harm a fly. This line quickly lets the audience know that this is an ongoing source of tension for them, more so than last season. We saw a little bit of it last season, but now we know there there have been these specific conversations recently. Tara starts to answer, but she cuts off when Dawn walks in to get chips. Dawn apologizes for interrupting, and Willow says it's okay, they're done, and walks out at 11 minutes, 18 seconds. That moment I see as an inciting incident or story spark for the Tara and Willow storyline. You could also see the moment about Fantasia and the decorations where there's a minor conflict as a spark because it is the first hint that Willow is now going to magic for pretty much everything. If you see it that way, then this fight is the first major plot turn in their story. That's the turn I think of as the one-quarter turn because of where it usually appears in a story, though it could be around a third through, and it comes from outside the protagonist, takes the story in a new direction, and sometimes raises the stakes. And here we have that if we see Tara as the protagonist. This comes from Willow, who responds so angrily to Tara's concerns. And if we see Willow as the protagonist, Tara's concern seems out of place to her because she's saying, this is no big deal. I don't get why you're being this way. And Tara is pushing it. And it seems like farther than she normally would because this is an argument. 
And it will spin their story because now they're at odds and that is going to escalate. At 11 minutes 26 seconds, Buffy hugs Xander. She seems very happy for him, but she does ask how much else changed in the three months she was out of commission. Dawn volunteers that she got a tattoo and when Buffy's shocked, Willow clarifies, which is why we told her no. And Dawn says, just a little one. Buffy answers, over my dead body, the kind that doesn't come back. This minor conflict reminds the audience or tells new viewers that Buffy was dead for a while and is a bit out of touch. Dawn congratulates Anya, too, and then starts to head out, claiming she told Buffy she was sleeping over at Janice's and that Buffy said it was okay. Buffy's uncertain. She mentions Xander's party, that Dawn ought to stay for it, but Xander says it's fine, so Buffy looks to Giles, who says it's not up to him. Dawn promises she'll walk straight over to Janice's. It's only four blocks. It's not like she'll be roaming the streets. And I enjoy this transition because next we will see Dawn roaming the streets of Sunnydale. I also think this probably is the one quarter twist for the episode if we see Buffy as the protagonist in a story either about her and Dawn or about Buffy trying to engage more with life and her friends and, and Dawn. Because this comes from outside Buffy, it comes from Dawn, and it will definitely spin the story and raise the stakes, something else that ideally you want to do with that first plot turn, because now, though neither of them knows it, Dawn will be in danger. And my struggle over if Buffy's the protagonist, if Willow's the protagonist, if Dawn is the protagonist, which I didn't say yet, but Dawn also may be the protagonist in the main plot, and she is definitely the protagonist in a storyline about her, shows the challenge of this episode. So when I look at who the protagonist is, I look at three things, thanks to Lonnie Diane Rich of How Story Works. Which character is pursuing an active goal throughout the story, which is the main point of view character, and which one has the most at stake. And ideally, in the clearest, strongest stories, the protagonist is the answer to all three of those questions. Your story can still work if if the protagonist is the answer to only two of them, but here, no one quite fits this. Dawn, will find out, is actively pursuing a goal. She wants to meet up with Janice and two boys that Janice knows. Buffy, she may be pursuing an active goal here. It's more subtle. It's it's an ongoing goal to fit in with life again, to re-engage with life. The point of view shifts around a lot in this episode. Dawn definitely is the main point of view character for her story. Buffy is a point of view character for many aspects of this episode, but we get a lot from the other characters as well. Xander in his story, Willow and Tara in their story. As far as who has the most at stake, it is probably Dawn. She's the one whose life will be in danger directly, and Dawn has a lot to lose emotionally too, as we'll see. Buffy, though, in a way, is struggling to hang on to her life, to to re-engage with life, and that's a pretty big emotional issue for Buffy. 
though we don't necessarily get that in this episode. You have to look to previous episodes and minor spoiler to later episodes to really get that. Dawn out in Sunnydale alone looks pretty happy walking around until she's in a dark alley and hears some sounds that sound like possible violence. She grabs a stray board and startles two people who are making out. I would have liked to see Dawn carrying a stake because she knows what's going on out there. But this board is bigger, and we'll find out later that she does actually carry a stake. So good good use of Dawn's character in that. Janice surprises Dawn from behind, startling her a bit. But then the two of them laugh over Buffy thinking Dawn's staying overnight at Janice's and Janice's mom thinking that Janice is at Buffy's. They are meeting the guys at the park, and Janice jokes that's where all the monsters gather on Halloween. The scene cuts to the park. Zach, who we'll find out is Janice's boyfriend, is standing on a swing, swinging back and forth. The other boy, Justin, wears a letterman jacket, which we know in Buffy is never a good thing, and he is there to meet dawn she's surprised that he remembers seeing her around school and at 14 minutes 34 seconds the four of them go around egging houses letting the air out of people's tires at one point dawn sees a witch costume and babbles about what witches really look like quote and you don't want to get them mad end quote Later, when Dawn and Janice talk, Dawn says, Justin's okay, and Janice says, ho-hum okay, or like, oh my god, I think I'm going to pee in my pants okay, and Dawn giggles and says, pee. Up ahead, the two guys are having a similar conversation, and Justin agrees that Dawn is cute. Zach asks, what about going all the way, but Justin doesn't answer because Janice interrupts. She's getting bored. They decide to stop at one more house, which turns out to be that of that creepy old man we saw in the beginning of the episode. If you are enjoying the podcast and would like to support it and help ensure it continues, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash Lisa M. Lilly. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash L-I-S-A Emerson Marie L-I-L-L-Y. You can do that for as little as a dollar a month and you'll get access to lots of bonus episodes. Initially, my Buffy holiday episode where I rank and compare all the holiday stories on Buffy was recorded as a Patreon bonus. And I had to look back to see if I included all the way because when I started watching, I had forgotten it was a Halloween episode and I worried that I omitted it from the list. But it is, in fact, there. I'll try to remember to repost that in Patreon for anyone who who didn't catch it. Other Patreon bonus episodes include Buffy Rises from the Dead, Bargaining Part 2 through Afterlife, and a breakdown of the pilot episode of Angel. So you can join at patreon.com slash Lisa M. Lily. If you'd like to support the podcast a different way, you can do that by telling a friend about it or sharing it on social media or rating or reviewing it wherever you listen to podcasts. All of that helps more Buffy fans find out about Buffy and the Art of Story.
At 15 minutes 47 seconds, Giles sits next to Xander on the stairs. They are both drinking beer. And Giles says, Anya is a wonderful former vengeance demon. I'm sure you'll spend many years of non-held dimensional bliss. Giles seems genuine in this, if invoking a bit of his uh, dry humor. And he goes on to ask if Anya is moving in with Xander which I actually thought she had already done, but maybe it's just that she spends a lot of time at his apartment. Giles suggests that with their combined income, they could think about a down payment on a house. Xander looks worried and says, like the kind you live in, which I sort of love. That is a very fun line that shows his unease. And Giles picks up on that and assures him there's no rush. Quote, you've got the rest of your life to plan the rest of your life. End quote. Now Xander is looking more nervous. Here is one thing that is clear for the Xander-Anya subplot. He is the protagonist. He's the one actively pursuing a goal. He told everyone about the engagement and now is dealing with the consequences. And he is the point of view character through almost all all of these interactions and has the most at stake in this episode as we'll see him becoming more and more uncomfortable. At 16 minutes, 19 seconds, Don, Janice, and the two guys talk about the old man who is rumored to be Looney Tunes, as they say it. And Zach dares Janice to go up and smash the jack-o'-lantern on the man's porch. Janice is afraid to do it, but Dawn volunteers. Justin tells her she doesn't have to, which is one of several times that he seems like a pretty nice guy. But Dawn wants to, and she's very focused as she walks up the stairs. She doesn't look too scared, and she picks up the pumpkin, holds it over her head, and smiles. Then the old man grabs her arm, startled her she drops the jack-o'-lantern the pumpkin smashes all over and he tells her not to mess with those sometimes they bite the guys run up and tell him to get away from dawn he freezes for a second then laughs and invites them inside he has something special for them and he says daddy's got a treat I just realized why the Justin's a nice guy lines don't work for me even before I know that Justin is a vampire. It's the way they talk about and treat this old guy. He and Zach rush over as if uh, to protect Dawn, and, and, and that's a you know, that's good. They should want to protect her, but completely oblivious to they're the ones who are harassing this old man who didn't ever do anything to them. So they, yeah, they're supposed to be teenage guys, and this is what a lot of teenagers do on Halloween, but but they're, they're kind of jerky, and that undercuts the, oh, we're supposed to think Justin's a nice guy. Zach thinks going in the house is cool. Janice, does not want to go in, but Dawn is willing. And in her story, this could be a one-quarter turn. It comes from outside Dawn and will spin the story because of the eventual interactions with the old man. And it seems to raise the stakes because at least to this point, we think the old man is the danger to Dawn and her friends. At 17 minutes, 52 seconds, all of them are inside. The guys hold some of the toys. Zach thinks the 
robot he's looking at is pretty cool, and the man says he designed toys in the late 50s, but then, quote, that thing happened, one little mistake, end quote, and they took all his toys away, took everything away. And then his uh, demeanor switches, he becomes uh, over cheery and says, time for the treats. Who wants to help daddy in the kitchen? He looks at Dawn and says, how about you, Sally? Don doesn't look thrilled, and Justin stands and says he'll give the man a hand, and the old man says, quote, hands are always good, end quote, in a creepy way, and that he can always use more. Justin follows him into the kitchen. Janice says they ought to get out, but Zach doesn't want to miss the treat and break the old guy's heart, assuming it's still beating. But Zach doesn't think a man who's a thousand years old can hurt them. He's been turning a jack-in-the-box handle as he talks, and now it pops up. Dawn looks at the figure inside and says, hey, where's its head? At 19 minutes, 22 seconds in the kitchen, the old man takes out that giant butcher knife. But Justin goes into vamp face behind him, says boo, and spins the man around, and we cut to a commercial. This is a great hook before the commercial. And this also shows another way the episode uses misdirection, because when we have seen this old man up to this point, the story leads us to believe that he is the threat, and Justin is either a nice guy or, you know, not too bad and seems to like Dawn. So this time, subverting expectations does play fair with the audience. It doesn't work quite as well for me as other times when Buffy has subverted expectations. And I had to think about why. And I concluded it's because these oddities about the man, the fact that he uses a giant carving knife for what we'll find out is to cut up some Rice Krispie treats, that he says these kind of creepy things in this voice, like who's going to help daddy in the kitchen or I'm planning something special for you. None of this is explained in any real way other than the offhand that he's, quote, total Looney Tunes, end quote. And in other Buffy episodes, there are real character-based reasons. Great example for contrast is the the pilot of the whole series, Welcome to the Hellmouth, begins with a young high school woman who is with this guy in the deserted high school and we're nervous for her because she seems nervous about no one else being around. He seems kind of predatory and manipulative. And then it turns out that's Darla, and she's a vampire, and she is the predator, and he is the prey, and it's fun, and it's a surprise, and it's engaging because first we felt empathy for Darla, and then she shocks us. Also, you don't want to see anyone get killed, but there is a certain satisfying aspect to this guy who was at least on some level trying to prey on this high school girl turning out to be the one in danger. We're here. I don't have empathy for the old man. I I don't know anything about what's going on in his head, 
before Justin attacks him. So while I can feel for anyone who becomes a victim, I'm not personally invested in him. And as I said, we we don't have or I don't have any particular feeling about Justin either, positive or negative. So the subversion of the expectations doesn't have as much power as other times when Buffy as a series does that. At 19 minutes, 47 seconds, Justin bites the man, knocks him to the floor, and that knocks over a foil pan, which was filled with Rice crispy treats with pumpkin decorations on them, which is presumably why the man brought out the carving knife. Dawn and Janice hear the noise, and Dawn is the first to rush toward the kitchen. Backing up for a second, something else that is difficult about the scene with the old man or the whole mini story with him is that it feels completely unnecessary to this episode. So it isn't just a misdirect about who the villain is. It takes up a lot of time. And if you lifted it out I don't think it would make much difference with the exception that it may play into Justin's choice later on, but it it is a lot for something that doesn't ultimately matter. And to contrast to the uh, Welcome to the Hellmouth again, while Darla wasn't the main villain, she was working for the master and she was a pretty big part of that plot. And that moment in the beginning happened very fast with her. We didn't take up a lot of screen time with it, unlike here. Dawn rushes toward the kitchen, the other two follow, but Justin comes out and shuts the door behind him and tells them they all need to go. He swiped the man's wallet when he wasn't looking. The girls run ahead and Justin complains to Zach that the guy was rank. Zach asks about Lunchables or should they go all the way and turn Janice and Dawn, but Justin doesn't answer now. And this feels a bit slow to me as well because we've already had Zach asks the question, Justin doesn't answer, and now he asks again, Justin doesn't answer. Now we understand the question, so that makes it a little bit different, but it adds to a feeling of where is the episode going. The scene cuts to Anya talking about a June wedding and going on and on about June weddings have the highest percentage of vengeance calls and then about wedding planning, cars, and babies. Xander blinks more and more as she talks and his smile fades and becomes a frozen sort of half smile. Buffy looks a bit sad when Anya gushes about how lucky she is, an ex-demon who found the one person she was meant to be with in all the dimensions, and how often does the universe let that happen? Buffy's expression made me wonder if we are back to this feeling of Buffy's that we saw in the robot episode with April the Robot last season, that Buffy has to be with a man and that there's something wrong with her if she's not. However, I don't think that's what it's supposed to be. More on that in foreshadowing. At 21 minutes 44 seconds, Xander and Buffy step outside. Xander is very grateful for the air, which he is gulping, and he confesses it's all a bit 
much, but Buffy says it's good. It's love and celebrations and moving forward, and she looks genuinely happy for him. They talk a little more. Xander goes back inside. Buffy says she's going to take Spike up on his offer to patrol. So we've reached the midpoint of the episode where we're a little bit past, and that's where I typically look for a major commitment by the protagonist or for the protagonist to suffer a major reversal or both. I'm not sure there's a reversal here for Buffy, perhaps a bit emotionally because she seems to leave because she just is feeling maybe disconnected or a bit sad, though happy for Xander and Anya. It makes her feel more alone, but it's not super clear and I'm not sure it counts as a major reversal. I do think there is one for Dawn because now we cut to her and Justin, she's telling him she a lowly freshman but she's joking around and he gives her some of the cash that he stole from the old man then he's impressed when dawn says this isn't the start of her life of crime she steals all the time she hasn't paid for a lipstick in forever and we believe her because we saw her swipe that charm earlier she looks a little cold. Justin gives her his letterman jacket and looks like he's about to kiss her. So I think there is a major reversal here for Dawn, either right here or before when Justin and Zach exited the house, because somewhere in there, we don't know it yet. Dawn doesn't know it, but Justin decided he did want to go all the way with Dawn and turn her into a vampire. And that is a major reversal. It's a bit undercut by just the fact that Justin is a vampire. So no way is this ending well for Dawn. Yeah, she'd probably say it'd be worse to be a vampire than for him to kill her, but uh, that's that's not a great choice either way. So it, it doesn't significantly up the stakes. No pun intended. That is where I see that maybe the old man storyline is relevant because Justin seeing Dawn being first to or the only one who would go up to the house and, and break the jack-o'-lantern and then being the first one to rush to try to help him and now finding this out about her because they have this conversation over crime, because he stole the money. In that sense, the man's storyline contributes to Justin's decision. But it it's very indirect, and it still feels like a lot of time with the old man or something that could have probably been shown more easily and more quickly another way. We could also see this as a major reversal for Buffy if she's the protagonist, because she agreed Dawn could go alone to Janice's house, and now Dawn's life is definitely in peril though again as with the dawn analysis it was already in peril the second that she agreed to meet justin and zach if we knew justin's thought process if there was any scenario where he might have let dawn go if he's considering that that would really help up the emotional stakes or make this a more significant reversal if before he was thinking of letting dawn go and now he is going to turn her Dawn and Justin don't kiss because Janice interrupts them to ask where Zach went. Justin looks not pleased about the interruption, but tells her Zach went to get the car, which is a good segue because in the next scene, Zach says thanks for the ride and throws a dead body out of a car. 
At 24 minutes, Buffy walks alone, surrounded by Halloween partiers, and she's looking down and looking a bit sad, particularly as she watches some couples arm in arm go down a path. But then she's distracted by an ambulance and people gathering around. The paramedics load a woman onto a stretcher, and Buffy sees a bite on her neck. So until my very last watch to outline this for the podcast, I thought it was the old man that they were carrying out of his house. Then I thought it was a random woman, and now I think maybe it's the person that Zach threw out of the car. Either way, it tells Buffy that vampires are out and active. At 24 minutes, 34 seconds, Giles answers the phone. I briefly think it's Buffy, but it's Janice's mom. This is another minor misdirect. Doesn't really have a lot of effect one way or the other, but it does make me think they wanted to do a lot of subverting expectations in this episode. Janice's mom is looking for Janice, and they discover the deception about who's sleeping at whose house. Uh, From Giles' end of the conversation, we can tell Janice's mom is mad at him, which frustrates Giles, but he transitions to, you know, we'll figure this out. And for the first time, I'm thinking, is some of Giles' frustration with Buffy about the fact that he's thrust into this role as father that he never asked for because it was one thing to be Buffy's watcher and feel like a father figure for her or become a father figure for her. Giles loves Buffy as a daughter. He's more than willing to do that, but now he suddenly is a parent to two teenage girls. If that is part of his frustration, though, it makes me like Giles less, and I love Giles, so I really don't want to think that. Tara sits alone on the couch in the living room, clearly not too happy, watching Willow, Xander, and Anya, who are dancing and seem to be having a great time. They're not too worried when Giles gives them the news. Xander calls it a classic move by Don. And he also tells Giles that Buffy got antsy and went to patrol with Spike. And Giles says it's always nice to be kept in the loop. Then he tells Xander and Anya to stay at the house in case Janice's mom calls again. Tara and Willow should check downtown, and Giles will go to Spikes to look for Buffy. At 26 minutes, 39 seconds, Janice and Zach get out of the car. Dawn's nervous sitting in the front seat with Justin. She's still a bit cold, but offers to give him back his jacket. He says the cold doesn't bother him and moves in for a kiss. But Dawn, nervous, acts asks about the radio, then talks about the song. He asks her if she wants to leave. Dawn says she doesn't want to leave, but she asks what he expects. And Justin says, I just want to taste you. They kiss and we cut to a commercial. This episode also uses a lot of dramatic irony where the audience knows something that the main characters don't, specifically that Justin and Zach are vampires. We find that out much earlier than Dawn. And when that was done in Welcome to the Hellmouth with Darla, it added some tension because we saw her in the bronze and we knew she posed a threat to the people she talked to. I am never as invested in Dawn's story as I was in Buffy's in the pilot episode. Part of it is we don't know Dawn's intentions until much later. We have no idea that she isn't just going to Janice's house. We don't even find out that she is planning anything for Halloween until about a quarter way into the episode. 
And we don't know too much about what her life at school is like. Clearly, she wants Justin to like her. She wants to meet these boys, have a good time, probably have her first kiss and have a boyfriend. But we don't know if otherwise in school she's fitting in or not, if she has the kind of struggles Buffy had. There's just not enough context for me to care that much about Dawn. Justin and Dawn break apart after the commercial, and Dawn says, shiver me timbers. I do have a listener comment to share on Life Serial. This was on Instagram from TCI Madman Pod. This episode was always so annoying. You pointed to like 100 different reasons why if something is illogical within the magic or for the character and you happen not to be thinking hard enough about it to ask yourself why that is, it just leaves you not enjoying the moment. This episode was practically constructed out of those moments. That is a great way to put that because when I first watched Life Serial, that's pretty much how I felt. I didn't know why, but I just wasn't that engaged with it. A counterpoint to that, I was recently out with my niece, Michelle, who also loves Buffy, and she told me she always enjoyed Life Serial because after the bleakness of the initial season six episodes, this is where Buffy gets her sass back. So I I love hearing a different perspective. If you'd like to share your thoughts, you can comment on Instagram or Twitter. Find me at at Lisa M. Lilly or on the Buffy and the Art of Story Facebook page or on YouTube. You can also, if you'd like to comment privately, email me at BuffyStoryPod at gmail.com. Justin says what and now Don stutters and he realizes this was her first kiss though she awkwardly claims she kisses all the time not that she's a kiss slut but she finally admits it and apologizes for it being awful she's afraid her lips were all dry and she drooled it's so awkward that It makes me kind of uncomfortable watching her babble, though it does tell us very much how she's feeling. At 28 minutes, 29 seconds at the bronze, there's a band, there are lots of people in costumes, and Tara and Willow have trouble hearing each other over the music or knowing if Dawn is there. Willow says it's where she'd be if she were 15 and on the lamb, surprising Tara. And Willow says, well, not her because she was a spaz at 15. And apologies, I had forgotten that the word spaz was still used that way at the time that Buffy aired. I don't think the writers were trying to make Willow sort of awful by saying that. Tara's surprised to hear that Willow was nerdy or geeky in high school. And while I enjoy a little bit of conflict bringing out exposition. It's unlikely to me that Willow and Tara never talked about this. They've been together for a while now, but but maybe, you know, maybe that's something Willow was keeping to herself, though she says it pretty offhandedly here. They climb the stairs so they can stand above and look down at everyone, and they're joking around with each other, but then Willow, looking at the crowd, says there's too many people to spot Dawn, and she starts to do a spell to clear the crowd, and Tara, alarmed, asks how she's going to do that. Willow, very offhand, says, I'll just shift everyone who isn't a 15-year-old girl into an alternate dimension. 
Now Tara is shocked. Willow insists it'll only be a fraction of a second. They won't even notice. And she's puzzled when Tara says she can't do that. Tara asks what if something went wrong and Willow says it won't. And now Tara says what would Giles say? Willow silences the crowd with a word and asks if Tara is taking Giles's side. Tara says it's not about sides, and Willow then assumes that Tara and Giles have been talking behind her back and gets really angry. Tara now tells her she's using too much magic. This conflict feels genuine. Tara is clearly worried about Willow's use of magic. It felt a little artificial getting in that Giles reference because I think Tara would have plenty of arguments of her own. And I think we wanted that because that's what sets Willow off, especially that she thinks they're talking about her. But overall, it works really well. And Tara says, what do you want me to do? Just sit back and keep my mouth shut. And Willow says, well, that'd be a good start. Tara says, if I didn't love you so damn much, I would. And she says a word, waves her hand, and the crowd noise comes back. And Tara storms down the stairs and leaves. These last two lines are so powerful because this is really crossing a line. Willow's, well, that'd be a good start. We have seen her be angry before, but not mean. It's essentially telling Tara, shut up, and not something we expect Willow to do. And Tara's response is so perfect. And it conveys, yeah, if, if I didn't care about you, if I didn't love you, she would just say, you know what, it's too much, I'm leaving, or just let Willow go ahead and spiral. But she doesn't, and she won't. And I love that Tara is so strong about that. At 31 minutes, three seconds, Justin and Don are still kissing in the car. She pulls back and says, ow, and he apologizes apologizes so we must have accidentally bitten her because she says it's okay as long as she's not bleeding he tells her she's so beautiful they kiss more she runs her hand up his arm and feels his face and realizes he's now in vamp face and his eyes turn yellow we cut to buffy a stake in her hand as she enters spike's crypt a black and white vampire movie is on the tv which is so fun because we know how much spike loves tv and that movie resonates with this episode buffy tells spike they've got trouble meaning the bitten woman she saw but he assumes giles found her she's very concerned when she hears that dawn and her friends are out running around alone we cut to Giles in the cemetery with a flashlight. He has gone to look for Don himself or for Buffy. And Giles says, missed, cemetery, Halloween. This should end well. And right then he trips on something we don't see. He gets to his feet again and hears screaming. He runs and finds a vampire attacking a girl. We think for a moment, and so does he, that it's Dawn, but it's Janice. And she's shocked that that jerk bit her. That misdirect works pretty well that we think it's Dawn and it's not. It feels authentic because it could be either girl and Giles doesn't know what Justin or Zach look like or even that Dawn's out with boys. Zach says to Janice, like you weren't asking for it. And Giles says, I feel certain she wasn't. 
Zach says, what do you know about it, Grandpa? And Giles, so cool, responds quite a bit, actually. They fight. Giles eventually stakes Zach with a tree branch and asks Janice where Dawn is, but she doesn't know. So around here in the episode, normally we would see the last major plot turn. It should grow out of the midpoint, the commitment or the reversal, and take the story in yet another new direction and ideally further raise the stakes. There was a turn earlier when Dawn realized Justin was a vampire. In a way, that spins the story because she is going to decide to try to get away from him. And it grows from the midpoint if we see the midpoint as Justin deciding to make Dawn a vampire. We could also see it as here when she actually gets out of the car and runs. But neither moment really raises the stakes because, again, Justin already decided to do this and Dawn's in no more danger now than she was at the middle of the episode. It's just that she knows it. When Dawn runs, Justin goes after her, but he's pleading with her to wait. And for now, it seems like he's not preying on her so much as wanting to explain. Justin catches up and he says he thought they could hang out. She's not like other girls. There's something special about her. He knew it the first time he saw her. He strokes her face and says he just wants to be close to her. And he leans in and says, quote, it'll only hurt for a second, end quote. And it seems like she's going to let him bite her. But Giles finds them and says, I bet you say that to all the girls. Now Justin really reveals his true nature. So maybe this is the turn because he grabs Dawn ready to kill her if Giles comes closer. Giles says to Justin that there are two ways to do this, the easy way, and then suddenly headlights go on all around the clearing and vampires get out of their cars. And Justin says, what were my choices again? It's unclear if Dawn was going to let Justin bite her or if, as she does at the end, she was pretending to be open to it so she could stake him. I don't know how you would get that across, but I feel like that too gives the story less power because we just don't know what Dawn is thinking or exactly where she is emotionally, other than, of course, she's upset and probably scared that she found out this guy is a vampire. We also never find out why all these vampires are here. There's a little bit of a hint in a moment, but but nothing specific. At 35 minutes, six seconds, Spike claps a hand on Giles' shoulder and asks all the vamps if it's a private game or anyone can join. Buffy runs into the clearing at that moment, sees Dawn and Justin, and says, were you parking with a vamp? And Dawn says, I, I didn't know he was dead. And Justin says, living dead. And Dawn says, shut up. Buffy asks how she could not know. Dawn defensively says she just met him. And Buffy responds, oh, so you were parking in the woods with a boy you just met? Justin adds, we've seen each other at parties. And Buffy now tells him, shut up. Buffy's outraged. Dawn points out Buffy's fallen for a vampire, and Buffy tells her that was different. And Dawn says, it always is when it's you. I enjoy this interaction because I can see both sides. It was different. As Buffy knew Angel for quite a while, and he had helped her fight before she was alone with him. 
But Buffy does seem to have forgotten what being 15 or 16 is like, and it really isn't that long ago for her. A bulky vampire interrupts to ask if they can fight now. Buffy asks if anyone came here just to make out, and one couple raises their hands, and she tells them that's sweet, and they should run. So we may or may not be getting to the climax here. That's where the antagonist and protagonist have their final clash and resolve the conflict. And the reason I'm not sure we're there is I'm not sure what the main plot is or who the antagonist is. The antagonist has one job that they must do, which is to push against the protagonist. In Buffy's story, if the main plot is Buffy trying to re-engage with life and her friends, it's sort of an amorphous antagonist. Once again, it's, it's life or responsibility, or it could be a Buffy versus Buffy struggle. Or it could be Dawn, since Dawn lied and snuck away. If that's so, there isn't exactly a climax because Buffy will just avoid the conflict, which is one type of resolution, but not a terribly uh, dramatic one. If it's Dawn versus Justin as the main plot, that climax comes later. So this fight then feels like a bit of a distraction. You need to have it, but it goes on awfully long for a fight that isn't actually the climax of the story. At 35 minutes, 57 seconds, Spike fights the big vampire. Giles fights a couple at once. Buffy easily stakes one that runs after her and it calls her the Slayer. And Justin says to Dawn, your sister's the Slayer? I totally get it. I knew there was something about you, which is devastating for Dawn and also makes me wonder if all vampires have a thing for Slayers. Dawn is really mad. She kicks him in the balls and runs as he doubles over. Not clear exactly why she runs away from Buffy, who could protect her, but she is also running away from the vamps. The vampire fighting Spike doesn't get why Spike fights other vampires. Spike claims it's because they're supposed to take Halloween off. Those are the rules. The vampire claims he and his gang don't follow the rules. They're rebels. So perhaps they were there for some group reason. I don't know. The fight continues. The vampire falls against a tree and Spike says, no, I'm a rebel. You're an idiot. And he shoots the vamp with a bow that shoots wooden arrows and mumbles to himself about the vamp giving them all a bad name. As he reloads the bow, another vampire attacks him. Buffy has a pretty fun extended fight with a vamp. She jumps on a car. She also another time runs up the side of the car and does a sort of backflip. She uses the antenna to try to strangle the vamp and finally kills him by closing his head in the car door. At 38 minutes, 10 seconds, there is a climax in the Justin and Dawn story. So if we see Dawn's uh, adventure on Halloween as the main plot, this is the climax of the episode. Justin catches up with Dawn in the woods, surprising her. He attacks, throwing her on the ground. He's on top of her. She's lying facing him. And she says, I thought you really liked me. And Justin says, I do. And you like me too. And Dawn says, I do. This is the language of the wedding ceremony and could be a nod towards some sort of theme about marriage since we also get Xander and Anya's engagement party. But taken together, I 
don't know what that theme would be. That marriage is risky, that love is risky. There aren't a lot of parallels otherwise between the two couples because Xander and Anya have known each other for some time and Dawn and Justin just met. But there is maybe not a theme, but a concept through the episode in the all the way aspect of it, which is the episode title and which uh, is used in dialogue because Xander is spooked by going all the way with Anya in the sense of getting married. He finally takes that plunge, tells everyone when it has been so hard for him to do that, and then is almost immediately pretty uncomfortable about it. Willow is, in a sense, going all the way with magic in this episode. Certainly, the spell to bring Buffy back was a much bigger spell, but she in this episode is using magic for everyday things, as Tara points out, and also willing to use spells that create great danger and not for that huge payoff of, okay, we're risking a lot, but it's to bring Buffy back from the dead. This is, we're risking a lot because it's it's too hard to see if Dawn is in the bronze. And then, of course, Justin debating on should he go all the way with Dawn by turning her and Dawn knowing now that that's what he wants to do we get this I do dialogue if it's a theme it appears to be that going all the way can present a lot of danger Justin leans down to bite Dawn and it looks like she is letting him but then he dusts we see she had this slender stake with her and it's in her hand. And as he leans down, she's able to stake him with it pretty easily. And I like this misdirect. It fits in the sense that we have already seen in this episode that Dawn can handle herself. She is willing to grab a board and go after a vampire. So it makes sense that she also has a stake with her. But there would be more emotional resonance to her staking Justin if we knew whether she considered letting him bite her, letting him turn her, or if she was always resolved to do just this. Now we are at the falling action where the writers tie up loose ends, resolve subplots, and continue season arcs. At 39 minutes, 10 seconds, Buffy apologizes to Xander and Anya about the party fizzling, but Anya doesn't mind. It gives her time to plan the bridal shower, and she asks where to find extremely muscular male strippers. Xander is not thrilled with that, and on their way out the door, Anya says, I'm kidding, geez. And then behind Xander's back, mouths to Buffy. We'll talk. Spike heads out. Apparently he came back with everyone and Buffy tells him good fight. Tara is glad Dawn is all right but goes up to bed without saying anything to Willow and Willow hurries after her. Giles has an ice pack to his cheek and Buffy asks how his face is and he says, oh still ruggedly handsome, grandpa indeed. Dawn sits alone in the dining room slumped on a chair. Buffy glances at her and tells Giles Dawn's taking it pretty hard. Giles says that's not surprising but they can't ignore her behavior or it'll spin out of of control. Buffy agrees, but then says she's glad he's there to take care of it, and she finishes, don't be too hard on her, okay? 
Giles stares in amazement as Buffy heads upstairs. Then he walks over to Dawn. He stands over her as she looks at the floor, and she asks if this is where he tells her he's not angry, just disappointed. And Giles says, pretty much, except the bit about not being angry. The scene cuts to Tara and Willow. Tara's taking throw pillows off the bed, almost throwing them, clearly angry, as Willow says she's sorry, and Tara tells her it's not that easy. Willow then jokes about she could reverse time to take it back, which of course only makes it worse. Tara says she's tired, she doesn't want to talk now and gets into bed. And Willow says, okay, quote, let's forget it ever happened, end quote. And she picks up a dried flower from the dresser and quietly says, forget. Light flashes over it, so we know it's a spell. She gets in bed with Tara, still holding that flower closed in her fist, and Tara, happy now, snuggles with Willow and says, this is how every day should always end and start and all the stuff in the middle. And Willow says, so you're not mad? Tara says, about what? Willow smiles, and the episode ends. Such a strong statement of where the two of them are, and that ending where Tara snuggles up with Willow, it it does make me empathize with Willow because yes, of course she wants the day to end that way, but it is terrible because of the way she gets there. Going back to a question from the beginning, are these different storylines subplots? Are they just movements in season arcs? I don't mean just, but are they movements in season arcs without being complete stories? Tara and Willow, that storyline I see as both. There is a complete subplot here. It starts with Tara's on ease when Willow wants to do the Mickey spell and the spell about the decorations. It grows into conflict in the kitchen and escalates to an out and out major reversal for Tara when there is that fight at the bronze and something of a a commitment by Willow if we see her as the antagonist making a commitment or to the extent she's the protagonist she fully commits by one being willing to do that dangerous spell but two telling Tara essentially to shut up and we have a resolution which is that Willow doubles down on magic so it resolves but it is part of the season arc as we've seen the growing issues with Willow's magic and more on that in foreshadowing Xander and Anya, I don't see a complete story here. We do have Xander taking that step and Xander's growing uneasiness, which is not resolved in this episode. And we don't know which way it's going to go, if that will change, if he will get comfortable with this. Buffy and Dawn, or Dawn and Buffy, their relationship, I see that as a part of the season arc because there isn't really a resolution in terms of how they are going to navigate their relationship without Joyce. How much of a parent will Buffy be? Will Buffy ever understand Dawn's point of view and vice versa? Buffy's subplot about engaging with life or not, how to fit in again, there's probably more of a full story there 
she starts out in the magic box, helping out, trying to be part of things, and then gradually throughout the episode, in some ways, withdraws more and more. She leaves the engagement party to go patrol with Spike. She does go out to find Dawn, but then she abdicates her responsibility, probably more of a season arc. And then there is Dawn's adventure on Halloween. And I I am leaning toward this being the main plot. It is the most developed story. So I've already covered those plot points. That is it other than foreshadowing, which does include spoilers. If you find the way I break down story structure helpful and want to try it for your own writing, you can get my book, Super Simple Story Structure, or you can download free story structure worksheets at writingasasecondcareer.com slash worksheets. If you're not sticking around for foreshadowing and spoilers, thank you so much for listening and a special thank you to patrons who support the show. Come back in two weeks for the next episode once more with Feeling the Buffy Musical. And we are back for foreshadowing, which includes spoilers. There is so much here setting up once more with feeling, and that probably explains why we have this group of storylines without a single clear story because the writers have so much ground to cover here to get ready for once more with feeling and I did not see that until breaking it down for this podcast. The two biggest arcs that are set up, Tara and Willow, here Willow resolving things by using that forgetting spell sets off a major storyline in the musical where Tara realizes that Willow did that, that rather than considering what Tara said about her use of magic or perhaps even just agreeing to disagree, she doubled down and wiped Tara's memory. And this arc continues into Tabula Rasa, the next episode. So it might be fun to look at all three, the Willow and Tara story across all three of these. Maybe I'll do that as a Patreon bonus. The other major arc, of course, is Buffy's disconnection. So that's where I think Buffy's sadness here was not about, oh, I am not with a guy. Look at Xander and Anya so happy or look at these couples. But more what we'll learn in the next episode that Buffy just isn't feeling anything and she wants to, whether it's connecting more with her friends. She is she is happy for Xander here and Anya, but she can't quite connect with it and she leaves. And she is missing that feeling of being in love, that excitement, and she just is feeling blank, which is a big hallmark of depression that that inability to feel excitement, to feel connected, to have deep, strong emotion. And we'll find out that's where Buffy is. So this episode does, in a subtle way, set that up. We have Dawn swiping that charm or coin. And in the next episode, she takes an amulet that summons the demon, the antagonist for the episode. So that is set up here. That entire storyline is foreshadowed. 
we know now that Dawn steals things, so it foreshadows the episode so that it is believable that that is what sets it off, Dawn picking up something else in the magic box. It also foreshadows, uh, I forgot the title of it, but the Buffy birthday episode, I think it's older and far away, where Anya finds out that Dawn has been stealing lots of repercussions there. Xander's comment, I'm going to marry that girl, and Buffy saying, what, she's 15 and my sister. Nice foreshadowing for Once More with Feeling, where that will be what Buffy is trying to save Dawn from. Not, not with Xander, but a marriage contract with this demon. And it is a nice touch that she has this conversation with Xander because it turns out he's the one who summoned the demon. He's the one who puts Dawn in peril, though unwittingly. The moments between Buffy and Spike, especially her uh, awkwardness when he says a bit of the rough and tumble, that suggestion that she does feel some attraction sets up her kissing him in the next episode and also the fact that when she feels disconnected from her friends or it makes her a bit sad she goes to patrol with Spike. He is the one person she feels some connection with. Anya's comment is heartbreaking. The how often does the universe let this happen that she found the one person in all the alternate universes who was right for her. It it's heartbreaking because we know how this ends, that Xander will leave Anya at the altar. And it foreshadows Xander's issues in Once More with Feeling. He'll mention in his song or their song about uh, unease about marrying a demon. Though it turns out it is much more about his family and his fears about himself as a husband and father, that too is foreshadowed here because he becomes very uncomfortable when uh, everyone's talking about the future. Giles mentions a house, Anya starts talking about getting a car and kids and babies, all of that foreshadowing their arc for the season. Dawn walking in on Tara and Willow fighting, such a key moment that happens here because that is why Tara discovers that Willow used the forgetting spell. She might never know it otherwise because she has no memory of that fight. And it's Dawn saying in Once More with Feeling that she's so glad the two of them made up that makes Tara discover the spell. So key moment that I never noticed before. I'm sure there are many more things there. This episode did so much to set up season arcs, to further season arcs, and to foreshadow once more with feeling and put things in place for it. So in that sense, a very effective episode. That's it for spoilers and foreshadowing. Thank you again for listening. Come back in two weeks for Once More with Feeling, where a demon comes to Sunnydale and forces everyone to sing, dance, and tell the truth. If you enjoyed this episode of Buffy and the Art of Story, please rate or review it wherever you listen to podcasts, tell a friend about it, or share it on social media. You can find back episodes of the podcast on YouTube or at lisalilly.com, where you can also find my mysteries and thrillers and the Buffy and the Art of Story books. If you'd like to connect or share your thoughts about Buffy, you can find me on 
Twitter or Instagram at Lisa M. Lilly. That's L-I-S-A-L-I-L-L-Y. Or email me at BuffyStoryPod at gmail.com. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved.